from Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, in all endurance, for all endurance, and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Good morning. It's good to see everyone. I was out of town last week. Got to spend some time in Atlanta, seeing some family. And so two weeks ago, we were in Colossians, and we're going to pick right back up in Colossians. And so over the next month and a half, two months, as we uh, work through uh, this book, uh, we're going to continue to uh, just go verse by verse in Colossians. I thought the band did a nice job this morning. Uh, I think we're very blessed here at Christ Redeemer to have so many people who are willing to serve in, in so many ways whether that's in the children's program or whether it's through leading in worship or uh, greeting. Um, never, never look past that. Uh, that's not always the case. And so it's a blessing to have people who serve and are gifted like that and just remember to thank them. Let's pray. Merciful and gracious God, I pray that you would meet with us now, and I pray that as we walk through your word that you would speak to us. I pray that you would speak to all of us in this room today, those who may not know you, those who are young, those of us who are more mature in our years. I pray that maybe today would be the day when you birth someone anew, or maybe that you jar some of us from complacency. And I just ask that your word would do its work. In Christ's precious name, amen. Well, last week we were in, or two weeks ago, we were in Colossians and, and uh, the first chapter. This week's sermon I titled, A Worthy Walk. A more broad description of the content we're going to be covering in the title would be, Paul prays continually that believers would understand God's will to live with the purpose of pleasing him in every way. Is it echoing? Can you guys hear me okay? All right, good. All right. So uh, that was too long of a title, so I couldn't get in there. So I went with a worthy walk, and uh, Andrew uh, could fit it in. So uh, this last week, though, if we remember, in both verse, in both verse 3 and then verse 12 this week, we see the theme of thanksgiving. Also, last week, Paul thanked God for the Colossians because of their faith, love, and hope, which was rooted in their acceptance of the gospel, and we saw that the gospel was on display, bearing fruit. And first, we see that the gospel bears fruit, bore fruit in the Colossians, or it bears fruit in our lives, first, individually. 
and then in the church or in our community of fellow believers, and then onward into the world. The near community and the broad. This gospel is the, gospel, is the truth that gives us hope. Christ's return, the hope in His return, that is, it compels us. It is like fuel for the Christian. Now, I had a little note at the end of our handout last week, and I had a bunch of verses listed out, and I'm going to go ahead and reread uh, some of the references from Scripture to the gospel as a reminder. I hope you're able to look some of those up, but if not, the gospel is to be shared and proclaimed. It is to be defended. We are to work hard to advance it, and we are to fellowship among others who believe it. And sometimes we are called to suffer for the sake of it. And we should be careful that our lives don't hinder it. And we should never be ashamed of it, and above all, that it does not come by our power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in this week's passage, we see Paul's continual and ongoing prayer for the Colossians. And we were going to see how knowledge leads to action. Last week, we spoke of the potential false teaching challenges that were creeping into the church at Colossae. It was most likely a blend of Gnosticism and Jewish ceremonial law. Gnosticism was the pursuit of spirituality through more and more knowledge and the abhorrence of matter seeing matter or, or physical things as evil. Paul starts this week by praying for the Colossians to be filled with knowledge. And so in some respects, that could be a little bit dangerous, right? Because that could actually fuel this Gnostic idea, right? This Gnosticism. But Paul is very, very careful. And, and the very crux in the middle of our passage is a so that, right? If you look in the word so that, so Paul says... He wants us to be filled with all knowledge and understanding, and there's a so that. So there's an outflowing of that. It's not to just be filled up, and we'll unpack that further. Knowledge should not puff up, store up, or swell up, or flow into us and stall. It should produce an outcome, an evidence, a practical impact. There's a second thing in here today that we'll talk about. One is, is there's the choice of the word structure here, spiritual wisdom and understanding and knowledge, References all the way back to some references in the Old Testament and the temple. And I'll try to briefly connect that because I think it's important that Paul chose those exact words because he go, if you go all the way back to the Old Testament and the building of the temple, and then he's talking about it here, essentially the building up of our lives as the, the, the body of Christ, and then there's this future thing he's going to deal with in, in upcoming chapters 2 and 3 where he's dealing with this false teaching. So, if you look at your handout, the outline is pretty underwhelming this week. Uh, no fancy, you know, great outline principles, you know, five words that I could come up with. As I looked at this all week, I just can't add anything to God's Word. Just, so just to look at it, what I did is in your outline this week, I found it helpful when I went through it to just simply, instead of take it as a paragraph, I just broke it up into the transitions, and then I underlined some of the key words in each of the transitions. And so that's what the outline is this week. And hopefully it's helpful for you as we step through it. But basically what we're going to see is that Paul has a prayer and it's a purpose so as for us to walk 
and there's four adjectives that describe how we are to walk. A manner worthy and fully pleasing. Number two, bearing fruit and increasing. And number three, being strengthened. And number four, giving thanks. And then underneath the giving thanks, there are three reasons given to give thanks. Because he qualified us, he delivered us, and he transferred us. So, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Filled here does not refer to spatial filling, but rather figuratively indicates that which one is characterized by. I put several examples in the handout this week of verses that also use this same word filled. You can be characterized by unrighteousness. You could be characterized by joy and peace, characterized by goodness, and so on. There's other references in Scripture to that. But here, Paul is saying that he wants the Colossians to be characterized by knowledge of his will. Now, knowing God's will. This seems to be elusive, such an elusive thing sometimes. I hear people, and and I have my own self, especially when I was younger, agonized over what is God's will in a particular situation or for my life. Should I take a particular job, move to a particular town, marry a particular person, serve in a particular way? And sometimes we have to be careful that we don't allow this search of God's will to paralyze us with inaction as if God's will is some sort of hidden secret door thing to find. Now, God has two types of will. There's a decreed will, an unalterable, redemptive, historical plan, as in Ephesians 1 and 5 and 9 and 11, where he speaks of chosen before the foundation of the world according to his will for his purposes. But there's also a perceptive will, which is commands for people to obey. And so I think that's what's primarily in operation here. Paul is saying he he wants this commanding will, knowing God's will so that the Colossians would live in a godly way. We have many references in Scripture of what God's will is for us. In 1 Timothy 2 and 2 Peter, we see that it's God's desire that a person be saved. It's also God's desire, or it's not God's desire, it's a also, we are, he says that we are to be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, I'll read a few of these now in, in, in their entirety. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect? Ephesians 6, 6. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So there's three examples right there that are not behind door number three uncertainties, right? They're very clear. There's nothing unclear. This is God's will. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. There's no wiggle room there. If that's something that you're playing around with, stop it. If you're flirting around on the internet in dangerous places, flee it. 
That's what we're told to do. And we're to transform by the renewal of our mind. Now, a principle. Doing God's will is a present activity with the knowledge that you have. What I want to make sure everyone understands from my perspective, you do what you can with what you have. And if God speaks to you here and there's a command, let's do what we can with what we have. And as we gain more knowledge and understanding, we do more with what we have. But it's an active ongoing. It's not to sit back and wait till some special revelation occurs. We start today and we pursue the doing of God's will with everything we know that brings him the honor and the glory that he deserves. My former pastor, uh, one of my best friends in the world, John Mark Caton, used this example several, several years back and it stuck with me. If we focus on doing God's will today, and if we wake up tomorrow morning and focus on doing God's will tomorrow, where are we going to find ourselves two months from now and two years from now if we continue that pattern? In God's will. It's an ever-present, active, ongoing. Now, I know that's not always easy and there are choices to be made. A good book I'd recommend for some of you would be, maybe if you want to read something, it's called by Kevin DeYoung, Just Do Something. And uh, I gave it to several people over the years and even my kids. And it has practical advice in discerning God's will. Now, let's keep going. Paul says he wants us to be filled with the knowledge of his will or characterized by that in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The two words there, wisdom is the ability to collect and concisely organize principles from Scripture, and the understanding is the application of those principles to everyday life. So this knowledge, wisdom, and understanding come from God's Word as enabled by the Holy Spirit. So when we look at this, Paul is praying that we would be filled with all knowledge through wisdom and understanding. So how do we get that? What well, starts first with an intentional, ongoing reading and searching of God's Word. First and foremost, it's a personal prayer and study. We should be seeking God's will as we read. We should ask God by prayer as we open His Word to reveal to us what He wants us to do to bring Him the glory and to teach us. Secondly, study with other brothers and sisters, our home groups. Hopefully you're involved in home group, men's and women's classes, equipping classes, and also by sharing the gospel and impacting the world, bringing this knowledge out into the community. We learn by that. So the application, have you ever tried to learn something? You know, go to a training class, go to a training class, learn a software, do something like that. You try to learn it, right? You go to training. What's the very first thing that happens when you go back and you try to use it on your own? Uh, now, um, I, I don't really recall whether I was supposed to push this or go here or click here. So there's this, there's this aspect of experiential learning, right? So you take this in and then you go to try to apply it and guess what? You're going to run into some bumps along the way. And as you run into those bumps, when you get back together for that training, what do you do? You ask much better questions, don't you? 
Because you have this experience now and you're coming back and you're saying, hey, I was trying to do X, Y, and Z or do this and I was struggling here and then you were able to get a much better. Now, the next time you go through the training, guess what? So much more sinks in, doesn't it? Anybody relate with that? That's how it is with God's Word. If we just take it in, take it in, but never go out and try to share the gospel or never go out and try to use it, we might puff ourselves up a little bit. But when we get out there and we're experiencing it and we're, we're, we're running into a difficulty sometimes trying to apply it or, or talk to someone about the Lord, it's okay. If you come across something you don't know, say, well, you know, that's a great question. I'm not exactly sure. Let me get back. Let's get back together next week. Let me go do some reading and I'll get back together with you. And you get back in there and you study God's word and you search it and you call another brother and you, or another sister and you say, hey, have you ever had this question? Have you ever had that? That's wisdom and understanding. Would you agree? It's taking these practical experiences and then applying them back. Now, there's an allusion here in the Old Testament. Exodus 31.3 says, See, I have called by my name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. 35.31-32 says, He has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill and intelligence, with knowledge and with all craftsmanship. 1 Kings, he was the son of a widow of the tribe of Naphtali, of his father was a man of Tyre, a worker of bronze. He was full of wisdom, understanding, and skill for making any work in bronze. And then in Isaiah eleven two, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see. The Exodus passages are saying that God filled the Israelites with his spirit and skill to build the tabernacle. And in 1 Kings, the same references to building Solomon's temple. And in Isaiah, it refers to a future king on whom his spirit will rest, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Isaiah 11 culminates in verse 9 with a central focus on the temple of the mountain of the house of the Lord. And that whole chapter is around Jesus and his future kingdom. So, bring this all the way forward. Colossians 1.9 Paul is saying that we should build our ethical lives skillfully so as to walk, bearing fruit in every good work. And this fruit bearing is essentially building up the body of Christ. Now, it's important because this is going to come back up in Colossians 2 and chapter, uh, two, uh, all over chapter 2 when Paul deals with the false teachers. Now, back to this week's text. The so that, the purpose of knowing God's will is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, I said earlier that knowing God's will should bring about godly conduct, and godly conduct should lead us towards fully pleasing Him. And this being filled or controlled and characterized by results in how we walk. So Paul now outlines these four things on how to, he describes what is a worthy walk. So this is the whole point of the whole text right here. So bearing fruit, increasing, being strengthened, and giving thanks. So what does it look like to bear fruit in every good work? Fruit is a byproduct of righteousness. And we see a variety of references to this in Scripture. But a point 
Fruit should be the mark of every redeemed individual. Fruit should be a mark of every redeemed individual. John 15, 8 says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The Bible defines fruit in different ways. It's defined as converts. For example, in Romans 1, 13, uh, Paul says, So that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. So that, that's, he's talking about he wants to see fruit, conversions. Hebrews 13, 5, praise is referred to as fruit. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. We know that we are called to acknowledge him before men. We also come in here and we talked earlier about our hearts. If our hearts are far from us, we may not be offering them to the Lord. So when we come in here, it is the hope that we are offering our praise from our hearts. And that is fruit to the Lord. To giving can be a fruit. Romans 15, 26 through 28 in the NASB version. Um, Paul has received a contribution for the poor from Macedonia and Achaia. And he refers to it here in 28. He says, therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs. So I would equate that fruit there is clearly generosity. They were giving and they were sending just as we also do through gospel partners. The fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the evidences of the Spirit in our lives. Two final points on this. John 15, 4 through 5 says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. One of the most important things that we have to realize, if we're going to have a worthy walk and we're going to bear fruit, we have to abide in Christ. Wisdom, James 3.17. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. Now, it says it should be increasing in the knowledge of God. What are some evidences of increasing in the knowledge of God? Deeper love for God's word. Very many references we could have pulled out. I pulled Psalm 1, 1 through 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. More obedience should be evident. 1 John 2, 3 through 5. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Increasing faith. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And in greater love in Philippians 1.9 And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So, 
deeper love for God's word, more and more obedience, increasing faith, and greater love are examples of increasing knowledge of God. Now, this also kind of references back to last week when we saw the word of truth, the gospel, bearing fruit and increasing. And here, this text, what we see is the Colossians themselves bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. So it's kind of going hand in hand. Now, third, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might with joy. Two things, by means of God's power, according to where that comes from. So let's look at this. It is by God's power and might that we have energy and motivation to endure trials and suffering for all endurance and patience. Two words there, the endurance and patience have two forms. One's endurance and patience in circumstances, and the other is patience with people. Now, I don't know about you, but I have challenged with both sometimes circumstances and sometimes people. Now, the ability to have motivation and strength and energy to confront or persist in the face of trials comes from God. It's his energy, his spirit working in us. And I admit, it's not always easy. Sometimes I tire. Trials come in many forms. Health matters, personal strife with others, financial challenges, spiritual battles and temptations, Sometimes it can, it can simply be a struggle for contentment and the temptation to grumble. It can be struggles with sin or indulgence or self-control. Remember Paul in Philippians where he said, I have learned to be content with much and I have learned to be content with little? Both ends of the spectrum, discontentment can arise. So, what I know is that when I take my eyes off the truth that it's God working in me, that's when I tend to tire the most. Think of Peter. Remember when Peter jumped out of the boat and he had his eyes on Jesus? As soon as he took his eyes off Jesus, what happened? He began to sink. Have you ever been in that trial in your life where you seem to have this supernatural, you know, just energy and this sustainment even though you're going through a difficult time? It, it, there's this undercurrent of, of, of provision that's occurring. I have been in those zones as well, but then when I find that I drift off of the Lord and into the circumstances, it's like I begin to sink. And you begin to focus on the circumstances more than Christ, and it's like it zaps the energy, or at least that's how it is in my life. And so what Paul's talking about here, I believe, is when he's saying... You know, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. We have to recognize that it's God's strength in us that gives us that ability to sustain and endure. Now, four, giving thanks to the Father. The attitude that is to be in our hearts and reflective of the knowledge of God and his work in our lives. Thankfulness should characterize a worthy walk. And why? Here, we have three reasons He's qualified us. We are not on our own. Qualified here means to make sufficient, to empower, or to authorize. We cannot qualify ourselves through our own efforts. 
We are only qualified by the finished work of Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. God, by his grace, qualified us to share in this inheritance. Now, this guarantee of this inheritance is listed in Ephesians 1. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it. Now, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. So, three reasons to be thankful. He's qualified us to share in the inheritance. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. We have been rescued or drawn from this domain of darkness, the prince of the air, the power of Satan. Now, maybe a better way to say it is out of the sphere of influence of the darkness. And we've been moved into the kingdom of Christ. Now, for me personally, I remember vividly coming to Christ. And it was, like, uh, it was not like some sort of Star Trek or immediate transfer. You know, there was no immediate, this, this from, the, from the, the controlling powers of, of Satan and sin to this, this freedom in Christ. It didn't just happen instantly for me. However, the burden when it fell off my back was similar to like Pilgrim's Progress. When, when Pilgrim loses his burden, I remember that vividly coming to Christ and knowing that my sins were forgiven. But it's no different than experiencing or that, that, that software package or whatever it is. You're trying to learn something new. It takes some time to learn this new walk. And so over time, I began to lose the taste for the things I used to love. And then I began to, to, to really desire the things that I used to not love. Time around other believers and more time in the Word. And, and so there was this exchange happening in my heart. And so in a few weeks, the men are studying Thomas Chalmers, the expulsive power of a new affection. That sermon, it's a sermon. That's our first men's night. And that whole sermon is around this exchange that goes on in the heart. So there's two ways that exchanges happen in the heart. The exchange of either removing and replacing, so taking out something and replacing it with, Right? taking out the love of maybe sin and replacing it with more wholesome things, or bringing in things and displacing, right? Either way, there's this exchange that occurs. And so we're going to be talking about that in a couple weeks. But this transferring, delivering us from the domain of darkness, and then transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, this new domain of influence, living in the hope of his return, striving in the power of his spirit, knowing we've been bought back, redeemed by his blood, which rendered full payment for our sins. It's this truth that we give thanks for. It's this truth that compels us. Now, all that is pretty straightforward in some respects. But it only matters is how we apply it. And so here for just a couple minutes, I want to ask some questions. The first and most important question is, are you in Christ? Have you ever come to a knowledge of your personal sin, desired to repent of it and be saved from the penalty of it? You can be freed from guilt and burden 
but you must be willing to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if we look back at this passage, obviously there's so many applications for believers. But the first I want to ask a question of us is, what is our life characterized by? Is it characterized by a life controlled by the knowledge of God? And is the knowledge of God increasing in my life? First two application questions. Now, it all starts with us individually. So, first and foremost, the questions for us each individually. Secondly, the question I have, am I imparting this into my kids so as to equip them that their lives will one day be characterized by these truths? Or am I actively engaged in discipleship of someone? Terry and I often remember when we were raising our kids, we did a lot of things that were not aligned with the culture at the time. Whether it was movies, activities, when you, how late it was when you got a cell phone, etc. And one of the things that many times comes up are genuine, honest questions. Well, the, you pick the family name, they do such and such. Or why are we not allowed to? Those were very real questions. They came a lot. Now, I know we've got young people in the room here. And we've got parents here. The individual feeling of the knowledge of God flows out into dads and moms imparting knowledge into our kids, learning how to apply and discern in various situations when dealing with other people and circumstances. And kids, I want to speak to you. Whether you go to public school or homeschool or private school, it doesn't matter. As you grow, you will be faced with things called peer pressure. Someone's going to say words like, no one will know. It's okay. Everyone's doing it. They're all lies. God will know. You will know. Applying God's word and knowledge of what pleases him is the only standard by which something can be deemed okay. So when, 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 when you're taking in that knowledge, it's, it's so that you are equipped to be able to help bring this knowledge to bear on a situation to determine if it is really okay. And the only standard by which it's okay is not if someone's telling you that, which if God deems it okay. And the fact that a lot of people are doing something absolutely has no bearing whatsoever on whether it is right in God's eyes. So, when these things arise, moms and dads, are you prepared to say, well, you know, we are the Dirks, or we are the Galans, or we are the Babs. And what characterizes our family is, you fill in that blank. 
What characterizes your family? The knowledge of God and the spiritual identity, excuse me, let me redo that. The knowledge of God and spiritual identity in Christ as dad and mom should be resulting in an identifiable identity as a family. Second, how would I evaluate my walk? Is it worthy of my Lord? Maybe another way to bring this into a real wrestling point would be, how would others answer that question in consideration of me? My spouse? My kids? My employees? My coworkers? My fellow believers, maybe people who are quite different from me, people I interact with in the service industry, is there evidence of fruit in my life? So, I think this passage is, it's kind of rubber meets the road. It really boils down to careful reading and willingness to apply. But isn't that what all of Scripture boils down to? Isn't knowing God's will ultimately the ability to be filled with the knowledge of His will and characterized by that and to have spiritual wisdom and understanding, isn't it that simple? Careful reading and practical implementation. So, I don't want to make this, you know, anything harder than I think that's where it starts. With a passion for the Word of God and a desire to put it into practice. And every one of us are at different spots. And every one of us have different struggles And every one of us are currently in different trials. But every one of us can find victory in Jesus Christ and an overcoming of whatever those things are that are embattling us. Let us help each other. Let us come alongside each other. Let us not do it alone. Let us be a community of believers that truly love each other in such a way that we continually compel each other towards the hope that we have in Christ. Yeah, that might mean admitting that we have some failings with some of our brothers and sisters and letting some other people come inside and walk with us and help us. Or it might mean us setting aside some of our own personal pleasures and time and priorities to walk along with someone and bring them along. Either way. So, that's really all I had for this week, and let's pray. Gracious God, as we study your word, we would so desire to be characterized by the knowledge of your will. Let our lives be noticeable, identifiable. Let our families be characterized by it, and let our walk be worthy and evident. 
Lord, I just pray that wherever we are this morning, all of us, we're all at different places. So I just ask that you'd meet us there, right there. Let it become evident and let your word bring the truth to bear on what we need to do in order to find peace and walk with you in all things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.